Well, as Christmas creeps closer and closer, I figured now was as good a time as any to debut a brand spanking new feature here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, and that is the Healthcare Hero. Now, Healthcare Heroes are people that we don't think nearly enough about until we need them. Then they are truly the first people on our minds. Now, healthcare heroes could include doctors, RNs, physician assistants, and in the case of this week, a nurse practitioner. Our special guest is Kimberly Burrow. She serves as a nurse practitioner at Henderson's Deaconess Hospital, and she will fill us in on her background in the medical field, her area of specialization, words of wisdom for people who are overdue for a colonoscopy, and most importantly, she will offer advice to aspiring medical professionals wishing to follow in her footsteps. So, kick back or keep shopping as long as you're buying my present, because here comes Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Season 4, Episode 10. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Louisville to Lewisburg to Lewisport, nobody but nobody blabs about the bluegrass more or better than we do as we explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. From the North Quail Motel in gorgeous Henderson, KY, I am Sam Moore, so glad Thanks you're with me today for the first of hopefully many healthcare heroes that we will honor. And I can highly recommend this one because she and I work together. Kimberly Burrow is her name, and we were uh, co-workers at the USA Care Store, which formerly existed inside Henderson's Methodist Hospital, which is now Deaconess Hospital. But anyway, the care store carried a, a full line of healthcare merchandise and uh, also offered great uh, healthcare programs that patrons could take advantage of, and I handled a fair amount of the marketing duties for the USA Care Store. Kimberly Burrow was our nurse practitioner on staff. We got to know each other quite well during this time frame, and I always valued her passion for the profession and her vast amount of knowledge. Thus, I invited her to come on here with us and share some of that vast amount of knowledge here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. Now, I know that each and every one of you can also recommend a healthcare hero for future recognition on this here podcast, because no matter how healthy you are, you've all been at the mercy of one or more of these healthcare professionals at some point in time or another. So please, please email me and Send in your nominations for future healthcare heroes that we will spotlight 
on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. My email is bluegrassblabbin at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Also, you can reach me on the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page, and if you're not already liking and following this page, I certainly want you to do so because, well, a variety of reasons. First, all of our previous episodes are right there. If you missed any or all of them, they are readily available at your fingertips. You can also stay up to date with additional information, teasers on future shows as they are presented, which is uh, typically about once a week. You can make comments, leave messages. I enjoy hearing from you via this avenue as well. And don't forget that you can access Blabbing in the Bluegrass and catch great guests like Kimberly Burrow without paying a pretty penny via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Verbal. Those are the four podcast directories that we are currently part of, and we're always looking to add to that list. We will keep you posted as we do. But for now... Via those four podcast directories and or the Facebook page, never miss a moment of Blabbing in the Bluegrass because as much fun as we have each and every week is never, it's never as much fun without you in attendance. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Now, Kimberly Burrow has done a Speak Up program on our local radio station, WSON, before. Speak Up, for those of you not familiar, that is a public affairs program which... uh, spotlights, topics, and guests of local interest. And so we figured if Kimberly could ace a speak-up program on the radio, then she can ace a podcast. And I was right, as we will hear momentarily. Now, I do want to also let you know about a few people that we discuss during our visits that Kimberly and I used to work with at the USA Care Store, one of which is Tiffany Jackson, who we've actually featured on our show before. If the name Tiffany Jackson sounds familiar, well, it should. She is the owner of Union County's A New Leaf, Flowers, Gifts, and More. Now, we featured Tiffany back on Season 2, Episode 19. And if you missed it, you definitely want to go back and hear about the wide array of great products that they had to offer from Not only floral bouquets, but also, you know, different mementos and gifts, all sorts of uh, porch decor, home decor. They have a baby registry, a wedding registry. But anyway, go check out A New Leaf, Flowers, Gifts, and More on Season 2, Episode 19 with Tiffany Jackson, if you haven't already done so. And another, uh, another former co-worker of ours that we sort of touch on briefly is Ashley Martin, our former store manager, who now stays busy with a special breed of dogs known as Palm Skis. In fact, she calls her her operation Forever Palm Skis. Get it? (laughs) If you are ever Palm Skis. And I'm still working on hopefully getting Ashley on the show at some point. I'd love for her to talk about her Palm Skis. But anyway, those are a few people that uh, we touched on as we reminisced about old times and former co-workers that we had at the USA Care Store. So that'll make that uh, part of our conversation make a little more sense to you, hopefully. But before we get to Kimberly, lastly, we have a bluegrass brain buster to share with you, as we generally do at the beginning of practically every show. And you know the drill. We'll give you the question now. We will give you the answer at the conclusion of today's podcast. Now, 
Today we are focusing on the Fort Knox Gold Depository. This gold depository was completed in December of 1936. What was the cost to complete this project? Again, the Fort Knox Gold Depository was completed in December of 1936. I want to know what was the cost to complete this project? You think on that, but not too hard. I don't want you to miss something that Kimberly Burrow has to say, but we will give you the answer in the program's final segment. Best of luck. Sam Moore now presents a kind and courageous healthcare hero. Well, in our very first healthcare hero spotlight, we are featuring one of my former co-workers, actually. We worked together at... Uh, the USA Care Store in Methodist Hospital, back when it was called Methodist Hospital. And uh, I handled recruiting and promotional writing, and she was the nurse practitioner on staff. Anyway, she's still there as a nurse practitioner in the hospital, and she has kindly agreed to join us today and talk with us about her educational background and her specialization as a nurse. And she's also going to pass along some advice for future healthcare workers wishing to follow in her footsteps. So let's welcome to the stage none other than Kimberly Burrow. Hello. Hello. Nice <laughs> to have you on board with us. Now, you've been a nurse practitioner for how long at this point? Well, I actually graduated from USI in 2010. Um, so I've been a nurse practitioner since then. I graduated with my RN in uh, 2006. So you've uh, been an RN since, uh, or a nurse practitioner since 2010. And then, uh, of course, I met you in 2016 at the care store. Now, you live in Henderson, but you're originally from Union County, Waverly, correct? Correct, yes. Awesome. No shame in that. And, uh, You've got two kids, Camden and Ellison. How old are those now? Oh, gosh, they've gotten big. So Ellison is in fifth grade at Niagara, and Camden is in eighth grade at South Middle School. Fifth grade and eighth grade. Gosh, I still remember you sharing all those stories with me about the times they were little and well, they're not so little anymore, so. <laughs> no, they're busy. Uh, Camden plays golf and, uh, well, he loves video games and hunting and fishing. And then Ellison, she just made the cheerleading team and she's on the academic team and everything at Niagara. So they've been, they've been pretty busy. Oh, well, good for her. Does, uh, does Camden have a girlfriend? <laughs> I have asked him, and if he does, he will not tell me. <laughs> he will not tell you. Well, I'll tell you, they start younger and younger with the girlfriends these days, so I wouldn't have put it past him to, to have one. But anyway, we're, we're sure glad that uh, you've agreed to come join us today. Now, tell us um, first how long you've been a part of the Methodist slash Deaconess team and describe your area of specialization there as a nurse practitioner. Okay, so I, I've been with Deaconess actually most of my, my career. Um, when I graduated from USI with my RN, I worked for about five months in the ER at St. Vincent's, and then I transitioned over to the GI lab um, or endoscopy center at Deaconess, and gotcha. I stayed there 
Yeah. So I stayed there and everything um, from about 2007 and stayed at Deaconess through 2013. Um, then for about Three years, I went to work for neurosurgical consultants, but I eventually came back to my love of GI, and I've been, um, you know, working in GI um, since 2016. Um, you know, I worked briefly in everything with the care store and everything at first at Methodist and everything, but whenever everything transitioned with it, I transitioned over to GI and I've been with Methodist GI until it was taken over by Deaconess. And I've been with Deaconess again, officially, um, since November of 2019. Awesome. Um, so what I do is a mixture of inpatient and outpatient. So I kind of split my day 50, 50. So I see around in the hospital, see patients. Um, and then I see patients in the office. And if I get new consults or need to do anything in the hospital, I kind of go back up and see the patients and everything throughout the day as needed and everything. So inpatient and outpatient, you do a little bit of everything. Now, for those who don't know, GI stands for gastroenterology, correct? Yes, yes. Awesome. Yeah, so that's that's your area of expertise. Now, uh, although you eventually entered the medical profession, I know that your initial interests were elsewhere, Kimberly. So take us through your educational background and tell us how you came to the realization that nursing was, in fact, your calling. Well, so I graduated high school, Union County High School, in 1997. And Go Braves! Even <laughs> being a colonel, I'll say that. <laughs> and I ended up going to Eastern Kentucky University, and I got my first bachelor's degree in police administration um, with a minor in business with the intention of going and finishing law school, but I kind of realized and everything after I started law school that that just wasn't something for me. Yeah, you did so that actually, for a semester or two, didn't you? I did. I went to UK and everything, and right. I realized, you know, after that semester, it just wasn't my calling. So I ended up going back to Eastern um, and did environmental health science, which is kind of like a combination of OSHA and public health. Uh-huh. Um, and I graduated from there in 2003, at the end of 2003, and started working as a health environmentalist for the health department um, in Henderson, which was a really neat job. Um, sure. I enjoyed it and everything, but there still kind of felt like something was missing and everything. So what I ended up doing is deciding to do a, um, a second degree bachelor program for um nursing at USI and I graduated from there in 2000 and in 2006 then I kind of went back to school almost immediately after I got my my BSN and started working on my um, master's degree while I was working full-time um you know I decided and everything you know I guess all the degrees I picked they were all had something in common and everything that you worked with people and helped people and everything right um in this area and everything healthcare is a it's a good option and everything there are a lot of choices for what you can do um settings that you can be in and I liked that the freedom that I could you know, go in different areas. You didn't have to just be in an office. You just didn't have to be in the hospital and everything. And you could specialize, you know, um, most 
nurses as they come out and everything, they have a specialty that they tend to kind of gravitate towards that that's what interests them and everything. So that's kind of what happened to me with GI and I've stayed with it. Well, that's um, great. Yeah, it sounds like you've really uh, found a home there and something else to be commended is while, while you were going to USI, you, you worked. So you kind of, you pulled double duty there, didn't you? I did. And I, I had Camden during that time too. So he, I had my firstborn while I was in school and working. So I was busy those first three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot going on, needless to say. <laughs> now, uh, Kimberly, what have you found to be uh, most satisfying and fulfilling thus far in terms of your time in the healthcare profession? Uh Honestly, well, it's not just helping patients and everything, but working with coworkers and making things easier for them and everything, you know, being a part of a team. Um, but, you know, those days and everything when you come in and the patient, you know, you, you're talking to your patient and they say that things are a lot better, you really helped them and everything that, you know, that's why you do it. That's why it's rewarding and everything. Oh, sure. Yeah, that feeling of gratification. Plus, you got to work with Sam Moore. Come on, say it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I know, I know it was on the tip of your tongue, but yeah, it's always nice to hear from, from patients and, you know, former co-workers and things like that. Now, have you, uh, have you talked to Ashley or Tiffany or any of our other former co-workers from the, from the care store since it ended? Um, it's been a little while. I've seen, well, of course, I see see both of them on Facebook and everything. And I, sure. it's been a little while, but I used to uh, go out to eat with Ashley and everything for lunch sometimes. And then Tiffany, of course, she's busy and everything doing, um, she's got her store in Union County. Yeah, I knew uh, In fact, I've actually uh -huh. had her on my show as well, talking about uh -huh. her flower shop. So, yeah. yeah. she's been really good. <laughs> yeah. But then, of course, uh, Ashley Martin, she's a uh, doing her thing with the, with the dogs now. Let's see, uh, forever, forever palm skis, I think. Is, yes, that's right. <laughs> and then, of course, she's still, the, still um, you know, into the horses and everything, rides a lot. Absolutely. I, I know her and her kiddos both are into the horses, so that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Now, it goes without saying that uh, teamwork is often a necessity in the medical field, and you alluded to that briefly a few minutes ago, Kimberly. So let's give a shout out, why don't we, to the co-workers and your surroundings who helped to make your job easier on a daily basis. Well, we actually have a very, very good office staff. Um, I couldn't do it without them. Um, Alyssa is the and Emily are two of the nurses, and Amy is actually Dr. Canlis's nurse. Um, Tammy and Jamie are our front office staff, and then we've got two physicians that stay there full-time, Dr. Tatanko, who just started and is wonderful, um, and then Dr. Karen Canlis, who's been there as well, and she's awesome. And then Alicia's the other nurse practitioner I work with, and we all get along really well. We help each other and everything. It's it's a really good working environment. Um, we've also got Kioma Scheduler. Um, and Kathy, she's our phone nurse and everything, and they do an awesome job as well. So I, I couldn't ask for a better group of people to work with in the office. Oh, yeah. Is that Kim Weatherby, your scheduler? No, it's Kim Fowler. Oh, okay. I don't guess I know Kim Fowler, but uh, but anyway, I, <laughs> I'm sure I, I might if, if we talked. But anyway, that sounds like a, a great staff, and Karen Canalis uh, is uh, a, a very, very good young doctor and her dad still practices occasionally doesn't he Noel? 
Well, he practiced up until um, I think March of 2020 was when he kind of finally said, it, I'm done. And that's about, you know, the time that the COVID restrictions, you know, really hit and, right. and everything. So um, and, and that's what happened, you know, with a lot of physicians, I think, that were, you know, heading or, you know, winding down towards retirement and everything just because of the risks and everything. They they went ahead and everything and 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 retired and everything or a lot of staff did that and everything yeah noel deserved it i guess he, he decided he, he worked hard he did he, he yeah yes indeed and 20 2020 with all that mess coming down the pipe the the timing was uh, was pretty good i'd say for him now um mm -hmm. although your job provides many notable perks and rewards like your great co-workers um it can certainly entail odd and irregular hours on uh, short notice. So tell us, Kimberly, about the various shifts that you've worked to this point and describe how you manage the schedule, which may be altered at the drop of a hat. Uh well, my, my NP schedule is probably a little bit more steady than what my RN. Of course, when I worked as an RN, we worked three 12-hour shifts, and we had right. um, like one weekend a month, and then we would have on-call overnight. If an individual had you know, a piece of food stuck or had bleeding, we'd come in during the night. So we'd have to be able to get to the hospital within 30 minutes to, for the procedure. So that was a little bit you know, you always had to make sure there was somebody there with the kids and things like that, that you had, you know, could get up and go and everything. Um, right. As an NP, I still, so um, initially I worked in everything five eights. And um, then now though, I've progressed to where I just do four 10 hour shifts. Um, gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, when I worked with neurosurgery, I did do one weekend a month and it was seven to three. And then now I don't do any weekends unless they need some help and everything. And then they ask, ask us to, you know, volunteer and everything. So in that case, you know, I'll ask my parents and everything, if they'll help me watch the kids and everything. Of course, they're getting old enough now that, that it's been a little bit easier as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, they can take care I of mean, themselves. Mm -hmm. And I do take calls during the night. Now our call doesn't involve going into the hospital, but it involves us being available for those phone calls. So we have to be available for the hospital and for any of our patients, office patients that have any kind of an issue. Um, and then there's a physician that's on call for backup. If it's somebody that needs a procedure or something like that, then we call the physician that's on with us and they come in and do the procedure and everything. Um, so, gotcha. so you, you are awakened in the middle of the night at times. <laughs> it can be and everything They call for, for Deaconess covers, you know, all it covers, um, Henderson for outpatients and then it covers, um, Deaconess gateway in midtown and then all the patients outpatients in Evansville area and everything. So yeah, it can get kind of busy at night sometimes. Also, so, so you just have to you know, give them the assistance or maybe referrals that they need, but you don't, you don't usually have to jump up and go in at that hour. No, no, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a difference. Now, I know you're um, always off on Tuesdays. In fact, it's Tuesday mm -hmm. as we do this um, visit here. So I guess you work Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Correct, correct. Awesome. Is that uh, like eight to six or something like that? Usually I'll do seven to five. Seven to five. Gotcha. Yeah, because the call person, they start their call at five o'clock. So that's why we do seven to five. 
Ah, see. And uh, back uh, in your nursing, in your RN days, I know you would work 312s, and some of those were overnights, I don't doubt. I did. When I worked in the ER at St. Vincent's, I did like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., or sometimes I would do a 3 to 11 shift or 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. and everything. So those were a lot harder. Some some people were made for that, and I, I wasn't made for the night shift. I didn't adjust very well. <laughs> <laughs> you just made do with it, I guess. And, uh, did, you, did you have to get creative to, to sort of help uh, keep yourself awake at, at nights when it wasn't uh, very busy or there wasn't a lot going on? There was. I mean, thank goodness there's other people there with you. So, you know, you could talk and everything. So uh, no, it, my, my Aunt Gail used to work ER at uh, night during third shift. And she said that some nights were so slow that they would toss water balloons <laughs> <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> I don't guess y'all ever got that adventurous, did you? Not, not, not while I was there, but, <laughs> but those are, you know, they make you appreciate the, the good shifts and the daytime shifts, like, like what you work now. Now, no matter how many classes we take, Kimberly, or how many books we read, um, some of our best education in life comes through the school of hard knocks. So why don't you enlighten us on the, the most valuable lessons you've learned on the job while employed in the healthcare industry? Well, you know, I've, I've learned as I've gone through the years that you're you never stop learning and everything. There's always something new and everything, and there's always going to be, you know, something to take in from other individuals, you know, something new to learn from them and everything. And I've learned that you never be afraid to ask questions and everything because you're never going to learn and that, you know, keeps you from, making mistakes, you know, it, it always talk it out, ask questions and everything. If you're unsure and everything of what to do um, and then teamwork and everything. If, if you guys don't help each other out and everything at a job, then it's, it's, it, it makes it a miserable working environment and everything. So it's I've not meant to be a solo act. <laughs> that's exactly right. And everything. Um, I think, you know, and I think that's why our, through all this, we've made it through the COVID you know, everything with COVID and we've not had a change and no one's left the office and everything because we, you know, teamwork, we get along really, really well and everything. Um, but those are probably the two most important things that I've learned and everything. And, and, you know, always strive to keep learning and everything. Exactly. New things come up in healthcare all the time. So you got to keep reading up and you got to, you know, stay on top of everything. Yes, it's constantly evolving. And a lot of times when you assume that you know something, you don't. So <laughs> unless you're 100% certain, always uh, always go for the clarification. Now, since um, COVID-19 first reared its ugly head in uh, 2020, medical professionals have faced the, the daunting task of not only accommodating patients in need, but also protecting themselves from serious illness. And uh, we touched on this a second ago, but uh, talk a little more, if you would, Kimberly, about uh, the most significant challenges encountered by you and your staff during the COVID scare, along with some actions that have been taken to mitigate these challenges. Well, you know, I think, you know, when all of the restrictions and the lockdowns and everything occurred with COVID, you know, 
they cut out elective procedures for several months and everything. So, right. um, and when they did start doing them again, people had to be COVID tested within 48 hours before the procedures. So, you know, it did make it more difficult for people to get caught up and everything to get their screenings done. And if they had issues, you know, it was difficult if they had issues and then their test happened to be positive, they had have to wait so long before they could have the procedure. Um, you know, so it, it was a delay and everything there. And our physicians have been working extremely hard trying to get caught up on all of this. Um, you know, they're, they're doing more scope scoping time and everything else, trying to get caught up in everything with patients. But I think that's happened with a lot of um, specialties and everything. It, it put them all behind and everything because we had uh, this lockdown. Um, and the other thing is, is there's been, there's a shortage of staffing and everything. So when that happens, then they may pull uh, staff to other parts of the hospital and everything to, and that can prevent them from being able to do outpatient procedures and things like that. So, you know, they've had sure. to change how they allocate resources and then that's been an issue. And then of course, you know, if pay, if uh, employees are quarantined then that puts it short staff and everything. So it's been really stressful on the staff and then it's uh, trying to work through and everything, maybe having to carry an extra load because, exactly. you know, they don't, you know, have the staff members there for whatever reason, and then trying to get patients taken care of in a timely manner and everything. Cause we all want, we want people to get taken care of when they need to and everything, but it, it has been really difficult um, from the outpatient perspective and everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whenever patients hit the button in their room for assistance and it starts beeping action, I'm sure, I'm sure there were, um, you know, many instances where you heard multiple beeps at once. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it made it difficult too because if you had nurses that were in quarantine rooms, they couldn't just come out and everything. They had a set of procedures and everything else they have to go to when they take off and on all of their equipment and everything. So um, it it did and everything make it more difficult. Um, sure. And uh, you know there was shorter staff numbers and everything and it was harder for patients too and everything to find rooms and everything because the hospitals you know were kind of overburdened and everything i mean people yeah. from you know illinois and everything having to go hours to try to find a bed somewhere and everything and that happened in illinois it happened in kentucky it happened in um, Tennessee, all the areas, and you'd have somebody that you were seeing in the hospital that came from like four hours away because they couldn't find a bed any closer. Right. So, I mean, it, it was, it, it was really difficult and everything when the hospitals were really full. Yes. More, more patients than, than beds in many cases. And you, you brought up mm -hmm. a good point too, because, uh, you know, in addition to the, uh, the employees that had to be quarantined from from time to time. There's there is a demand for healthcare workers, isn't there? Oh yes, yes. Um, RNs, um, patient care techs, you name it, and everything. There's not a specialty and everything. I think, you know, and, and that even goes to you know people that work in the cafeteria, housekeeping, and things like that. There's there's shortages, and it's not just one healthcare group, it's across the board and everything, but there's shortages. They've had hiring fairs and everything, um, you know, and they've had to bring in travel nurses and things like that to help cover and everything. And the Absolutely. shortages. Yes. And then a lot of those, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the extra step that people had to be tested 48 hours in advance of their, their procedures. And a lot of times that created a, 
a long waiting list, no doubt. It did. Um, they they finally lightened that or reduced that restriction and everything. And, um, you know, because they found that with proper um, PPE and everything that that the risk and everything of, of any kind of transmission of the COVID and everything wasn't there that when they did the study. So they found that it, they were okay and everything not doing the COVID testing before the procedures. I see. So at this point, people don't need to be tested before they undergo whatever they need to undergo. No, not, not, not at Deaconess. Um, not at Deaconess. I can't, I can't say that there's not any, uh, any other healthcare systems that aren't still doing that and everything, but not at Deaconess. Right. Yeah. Every, every healthcare system's probably a little bit different, but at least not at Deaconess. You don't have to fool with that. Now, um, as part of your role at Deaconess Henderson, Kimberly, you regularly assist patients with their colonoscopy. So tell us, if you would, uh, at what ages should we typically engage in this procedure and what exactly does the process entail? Uh, well, they actually lowered the screening age down to the age of 45 from the age of 50 that it was previously. Okay, um, so 45 now. 45, unless you've got a first-degree relative um, that has had colon cancer, then you start at age 40 or 10 years before that person was diagnosed, whichever comes sooner. Um, so if you have a family member that's diagnosed at age 45, you would then have to start your screenings at age 35. I see. So, you know, de de depending on what your uh, circumstances are, your family history is, there might be exceptions, but normally 45. And mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about what the process entails there, Kimberly, of a colonoscopy. Well, so uh, the colonoscopy, you do have to do a laxative prep because we've got to get all the stool out. If we don't, then we're we're not going to get any you know good views during the, the most fun part. <laughs> that is that is the part people complain about. There's no way around it. Right. Um, but so the day before the procedure, you're on a clear liquid diet, and then the afternoon before the procedure is when you start the prep to get cleaned out. Sure. Um, the day you come in for the procedure, you check in and everything through same day, and then they'll get you um, changed. They'll put an IV in. Um, and the procedure itself, um, they use propofol to sedate. So the individual and everything is, is just taking a really good nap during the procedure, and it takes about 45 minutes to do. <laughs> recovery is about 30 and then uh you can go home after that you have to have somebody that can drive you because of the sedation um and then typically and everything they'll tell you if they took any polyps out or did any biopsies or anything like that during or um after the procedure and everything um and then they'll send you a letter or call you with the results of the the pathology results based on what they took out and everything the sedation that they use now and everything it's really nice because it sedates really well and wears off really quickly after the procedure so you don't end up feeling bad the rest of the day and everything now now do you handle personally a lot of the colonoscopies or do you just assist in, in other areas 
So my job entails, well, I, I, when I see the patient and everything, I order the procedures and I'll go over, you know, what the procedure is with them and everything. Um, but I don't go into the rooms anymore. When I worked in the GI lab or endoscopy at Deaconess before I became a, a nurse practitioner, I did assist in the procedures and everything. Uh, but now typically I don't go into the rooms. I see. So you just uh, let your co-workers handle that, but you handle an important role. And I tell you, back on that uh, that prep work, it's you know the liquid that you drink uh, during that time frame. It's it's not as as sour or dreadful as it used to be, is it? <laughs> well, so they've come out with newer preps and everything, um, you know, and they vary from like a berry flavor, one's a fruit punch, one's a mango. Um, they're working on getting a, a, a pill, a new pill, the old pill and everything went away because it didn't do a very good job prepping the patients. Um, but they do have a new pill that's come out and they're working on getting it approved so that we can offer it to patients and everything. Um, most of the time, though, they still stick with a Miralax prep, so you can pick whatever Gatorade that you that you prefer and everything, and you mix the Miralax in with it. I gotcha. So <laughs> at least at least you can, you know, at least the Gatorade's in there, and and you can choose flavors. So that that makes it that makes it a little more manageable. Yes. Yeah. And you're drinking that. Um, what about every one to two hours during the prep process? So typically you'll you so you'll mix up and it's an entire bottle of Miralax when they do it and uh, you'll split it in half and everything between you know your Gatorade and then you'll drink the first half around four or five o'clock the day before the procedure and then the morning of the procedure about four hours beforehand you drink the second half of the prep. Ah, gotcha. So you you split it up about uh, eleven or twelve hours. Yeah, they found like and, and all of the, the preps and everything now are a split dosing because they found that it did clean the patients out better. That's good to hear. So, you know, well worth it, regardless of the temporary pain that that it might give you. The good news is once you get past the prep, it's, you know, pretty smooth sailing because the, the procedure is pretty short and pretty simple. Yes, yeah. It's um if they take biopsies or remove polyps, um it you know, you don't have those kind of nerve endings in your GI tract so you don't wake up, you know, feeling like you've had surgery or anything. You can't feel that. Um most people might be a little bit gassy and have have a little bit of cramping um if anything. That would be sure. about it. Definitely something that we should all partake in when we become of age. Now, Kimberly, what are some words of wisdom that you would offer to those who are overdue for a colonoscopy, but perhaps may lack the, the eagerness or the, the sense of urgency to get it done. Well, I am, um, you know, the, the good thing about colonoscopies is that by having one done, getting those polyps removed, it, it removes that risk of colon cancer because colon cancer and everything occurs when you've got that growth of those polyps over time. So if we get in there and do the colonoscopy, remove those polyps, we, we prevent that polyp from progressing to colon cancer down the road. So, I mean, it's something that can be prevented if you go ahead and get your screenings done. Yes, the sooner you get it caught, obviously the better off. 
Yes, so. you don't want to wait till you start having alarm symptoms before you have the procedure and everything, because that runs the risk of, you know, potentially having a more advanced finding. Um, and those alarm symptoms would be blood in your stools, persistent change in bowel habits, unexplained weight loss, um, unexplained anemia, you know, abdominal pain, things like that. Then, you know, those are things and you definitely need to be evaluated. Absolutely. And of course, typically the, uh, the starting age for those colonoscopies is recommended at 45. And then um, it's suggested that we take a uh, colonoscopy about what, every five years? It's 10. If you have your first colonoscopy and you have no family history of colon cancer and a first degree relative um, and no polyps are found with your colonoscopy, you can go 10 years. Um, if they find polyps or you have a family history, then it would be five years uh, typically. Okay, so <laughs> 10 with no polyps, five with polyps, so right. just to be on the safe side. And then that's recommended up until we're, what, age 70 or so? 75. Um, now, we may, if the individuals are really after the age of 75 is a very healthy um, and it doesn't have a lot of comorbidities, then we may continue to screen a little bit past that. But most of the time, um, at that point, you know, you're screening the patients if they're having any kind of an issue and everything. Um, so, but at the age of 75, at the very least, is when we would go up to. Well, that's the norm. Well, good deal. Um, I have sure enjoyed this. You have passed your first podcast of Flying Colors. I know you did a speak up on WSON a few years ago. So <laughs> I guess that was your, your tune up, shall we say. <laughs> but, but anyway, it's sure been nice uh, talking to you. We've all learned a lot. Now, last but certainly not least, Kimberly, why don't you give us your best advice for future medical personnel aspiring to enter the healthcare profession? I don't give up and keep going. And even if it gets hard or stressful, you know, the rewards, the for helping patients, seeing the smile on their face, um, it's worth it. Everything is worth it. Those hard days, those stressful days, those are worth it. So um, there's going to be plenty of opportunities, room to grow. It's a rewarding field, and I don't think you'll ever regret going into it. Oh, no, absolutely not. And just think of all the people that you'll be helping and all the families whose lives you'll touch. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, you know, there were plenty of times when you were going through schooling when uh, you were halfway tempted to, to throw in the towel. <laughs> It, it did. It, 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 it gets stressful and everything, but you just got to remember and everything, it's going to be worth it in the end. I think, you know, anything that's worth doing and everything is going to have its hard times and everything. But when you get done with it, you can be really proud of yourself. Yeah, but you stuck it out and now you're reaping the benefits. So <laughs> that's that's to be commended. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Now you're going to have to start charging people for your autograph, Kimberly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me on here. It's been nice talking to you. Well, thank you a lot. We'll do it again sometime. Okay. You have a good Christmas and a happy new year. You do the same, Miss Burrow. And folks, now you know why I asked 
Kimberly to be our debut healthcare hero, a seemingly endlessly flowing fountain of information that we could all benefit from. And in my show notes, guys and gals, I will include a phone number that you can use to touch base with Kimberly and her expert staff there in GI at Henderson's Deaconess Hospital. They would love to answer any questions you may have about colonoscopies or anything related to that. They are caring and compassionate individuals, and they cannot wait to meet you and meet your needs. So again, look for that phone number in my show notes, and I certainly appreciate Kimberly Burrow taking time out of her very, very busy work schedule and mom schedule to join us today. And there are plenty more like her deserving, well, nobody quite like Kimberly Burrow, but plenty more deserving of recognition. So email me those nominations, people that you would like to hear featured from the healthcare field here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. I'm all ears. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S. B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. And I promise you, I will do my very best to, uh, you know, make connections with these people and give them the time and attention and notoriety that they so rightfully deserve, okay? So send those suggestions my direction. Now, we have the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. And let's recap that now, shall we, from the beginning of the program. We told you that the Fort Knox Gold Depository was completed in December of 1936. I wanted to know what was the cost to complete this project. Your answer? A whopping $560,000. That's a lot of money even these days. But in 1936, it was much more. $560,000. That's the cost to complete the Fort Knox Gold Depository. And the first gold was transported via railroad to the depository in January of 1937. Now, no visitors are allowed inside the gold vault. In fact, the only people who have ever set foot in there are, uh, well, we had one former president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and one congressional delegation back in 1974. Other than that, nobody has set foot or been allowed to set foot inside the gold vault, and security has been beefed up out there even more so since the 9-11 attacks in 2001. But anyway, $560,000, that was the cost to complete the Fort Knox Gold Depository in 1936. So we'll have another Bluegrass Brain Buster for you next week. And before we part ways this time around until next week's show, I do want to uh, send out my heartfelt condolences. I would be remiss if I didn't to all of the victims across our state, particularly in the western and south central portions of the Commonwealth, uh, which underwent a lot of serious devastation last weekend, particularly Friday night during the tornadoes that uh, ripped through that part of the Commonwealth. I know uh, Mayfield suffered an EF5 tornado, Bowling Green an EF3, and, uh, well, I've got some connections in Mayfield, and my heart is uh, certainly with them. Bowling Green obviously holds a special spot in my heart because it's sort of like my second hometown. I went to school there at Western, got a bachelor's and a master's from that fine institution, and I have checked in with uh, 
people that I know in these areas, uh, particularly those that we've had as special guests on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, like uh, Bart White, one of my former professors from Western, uh, Teresa Rochetti Cantrell, you might remember she is the former mayor of Mayfield, who uh, wrote a book, Finding Frank. We featured her not long ago. Also, Katrina Berry, my former orientation and mobility instructor who lives in uh, southern Hopkins County, one of the other hard-hit areas by the um, storms on Friday night. I have They've all been guests on my podcast. They all have said that they are okay, which I'm very thankful for that. But chances are, if you live in these areas, even if you are okay, you, you know somebody who isn't, or you know somebody's property who isn't, and, you know, that's equally hard to deal with. In fact, if not harder than your own suffering, when you when you feel for the other people and what they're going through, man, it's, it's just not easy. And I've heard about all the stories uh, on the national news and the media outlets, and it really gets me choked up. I, I feel for these people, and it really hits home when, when it happens so close to you because... You know, Dawson Springs and Bowling Green and Mayfield, none of those places are that far away from me in Henderson. And like I said, I know people in all of those areas, and, you know, my heart breaks for them. But please know that uh, my thoughts and prayers are with you folks. I always try to give you a, a source of relief each and every week. I'm all about fun, and I try to, like I said, be a, a source of fun for other people in my surroundings and the listening audience as well. But do know that uh, we're thanking of you and we're praying for you and we hope that uh, things return to normal for all you people or those you may know who have been impacted by the storms as soon as possible. And we hope that uh, we know this is going to be a, a very long rebuilding process, but we hope that you all find a way to uh, enjoy and celebrate Christmas as much as possible and remember that uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, we will have one more show before Christmas next week. You know I want you here because it's not going to be the same without you. Be sure to uh, catch us on the Blabbit in the Bluegrass Facebook page. Like and follow the page to uh, catch each of our previous episodes that you may have missed. You can also uh, stay up to date with information on future shows, teasers, that we put out about once a week or so. You can make comments. You can leave messages. And don't forget that we are part of four podcast directories, including Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. So, no excuse for you to miss out on your weekly dose of Blabbing in the Bluegrass. Until we meet again, next week our show will come out December 22nd, three days before the Christmas holiday. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Between now and then, keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.